0: Britain has the worst coronavirus death toll in Europe. I
1: don't think there's any doubt that a quicker lockdown would have saved many, many, many lives.
0: The government had told us we were prepared. So what went wrong?
2: If you look at what was happening in the rest of Europe, Britain was becoming more and more of an an outlier.
0: You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, 22 days of dither and delay. Why was the UK so slow to lock down? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. The government's handling of lockdown has proved controversial. Why did you not stay in your primary Mr Cummings, as the government... Lynchpin like so or liability?
1: That's the quandary oh, Boris Johnson is wrestling with this morning.
3: If he doesn't resign, we'll just keep burning through Boris's political capital... At a
0: rate not least because Dominic Cummings, one of the Prime Minister's most senior advisers... Is now thought to have flouted the rules. As well
1: as travelling 260 miles to Durham to self isolate with his family close to his parents, he also took two day trips.
3: Are you going to consider your position, Mr. Cummings?
0: There are plenty of questions for the government to answer, but the one we're asking is could lives have been saved if the government had just chosen to lock down earlier?
1: I'm Jonathan Calvert. I'm the editor of the Insight team of the Sunday Times.
2: And I'm George Arbuthnot, and I'm the deputy editor of the Insight team.
0: Jonathan and George are one of the most impressive detective duos in journalism. Five weeks ago, they published an explosive investigation into the government's preparation for coronavirus and all the COBRA meetings that Boris Johnson had missed. Since then, they haven't stopped digging. To understand what went wrong, they've gone back to the first COBRA meeting the Prime Minister did attend at the start of March. And they've made some remarkable findings about key opportunities to contain the virus that the government seems to have missed.
1: Well, on March the 2nd, Boris was getting to grips with the whole coronavirus crisis. As we'd previously written, there had been quite a long time from the end of January through February in which there seemed to be a sense of drift in which the UK really wasn't preparing well enough. The um, Prime Minister did something which he'd singly failed to do on the last five occasions, which is that he chaired a meeting of the COBRA Emergency Committee.
0: And we know some of what happened in the Cobra meeting because Boris Johnson went on camera straight afterwards. It's on the Number 10 website.
1: When he came out of the Cobra meeting on, on that Monday, he did a, a video to the nation in which he stood in front
3: of a Downing Street bookcase and told everyone that... This is a uh, problem that I think is likely to become more significant for this country in the course of the next days and and weeks and this was a serious
1: problem but that we had amazing health service in the UK
3: we've got a fantastic NHS we've got fantastic testing systems amazing. and we
1: had amazing testing and surveillance of the disease it would only be a week later that they dropped the testing and surveillance because they realized that they hadn't ramped up enough testing to actually be able to cope with the, the number of cases coming in There was one other interesting point to note about uh, the Prime Minister's video. The version we can see posted on the Prime Minister's Twitter page is missing the final sentence of the recording. Uh, It's been lopped off. We don't know why. Um, But it is interesting. Um, His words are... I wish to stress that at the moment it's very important that people should consider that they should, as far as possible go about business as usual that's interesting because it tells you quite a lot about boris johnson's mindset at the time he wanted everything to carry on this certainly isn't the man who, who would ever want a lockdown um, and it was a signal for people to continue cramming onto packed commuter trains drinking in crowded pubs and mingling with large numbers of people at mass gatherings such as football matches or concerts Meanwhile, we can see that the infections were beginning to accelerate at great speed at that time.
0: So, so George, this is an ongoing story for the InSight team. You've you've covered this for months now in real detail. What's new in this part of the investigation?
2: So, we've been tracking the science as much as possible for obvious reasons, because... The government's tagline is always um, that they're following the science. So we wanted to, to see what the truth of that was. What we found is that there were two key modelling teams, one from Imperial College London and one from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. They'd been trying to predict um, how the disease would unfold through the UK since January, effectively. It had become clear by the beginning of March that... If the government didn't do anything, then it could result in up to half a million deaths, which is obviously an incredibly bleak scenario. So they also started looking at what what are called mitigation measures, uh, which are things like school closures, getting people with symptoms to self-isolate, banning mass events. And what was very alarming to them is that by the beginning of March, they realised that if they brought these measures in individually or even in combination they could result in more than 200,000 deaths. So they would make some difference, but it was still a devastating result.
0: 200,000 is a huge number.
2: It really is. And what hadn't previously been appreciated is that how early these warnings were passed to the government. So what we now understand is on the 3rd of March, there was a key meeting of SAGE, which is the, the key government scientific committee. And... It was at this meeting that those findings were first presented. And it had previously been thought that that finding had been presented on the 16th of March. So that gave us a real sense that actually the government had been given a very early warning that um, this mitigation approach was potentially going to be catastrophic.
0: SAGE meetings warning of a potentially catastrophic outcome. 13 days earlier than previously thought, according to George and Jonathan's findings, failed to produce a change in government strategy. We continued with the mitigation approach for another two weeks.
2: We also could see in the, in the science we were looking at that there, there were various estimates of the rate of spread of the disease across the UK and these ranged from the numbers doubling every three to five days eventually so there was a bit of a range but regardless of the figure you took it was rapid because obviously that involves a a kind of exponential growth we worked out that if you had a single case if it was a doubling period of three days then you would get to more than a million within nine weeks so it gave a real sense of the urgency of the matter and and how critical it was that the government got ahead of the of the issue and, and acted swiftly to stop it getting out of control.
0: While carrying out this investigation, who have you been speaking to?
2: We've spoken to scientists, politicians, with direct knowledge of the government's actions, academics, uh, emergency planners who knew about the, obviously the preparations that the UK had carried out beforehand, and also advisors to Downing Street. Um, and it's allowed us to build up a, a very comprehensive picture of how this critical three-week period in March played out. And... We've been logging a detailed kind of spreadsheet diary during that period, and I think we have about sort of 400 to 500 different entries within it. We've certainly been able to piece together as full of possible pictures as we can.
0: So you've now found that in early March, they were receiving fairly dire warnings about the number of deaths that might come from their strategy. Around that time, what were other countries doing?
1: Quite a lot of other countries were taking it more seriously than we did. If you looked at somewhere like New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, their leader, held a press conference in which she was talking about whole raft of measures she was
0: bringing in. We currently have 102 cases, but so did Italy once. We have always said we would act early, decisively and go hard.
1: They were shoring up their borders. They'd already banned flights from China and they were adding other countries to the list. So Italy at that time was starting to come down with one of the worst kind of outbreaks of the virus. If any Italian tourists wanted to come to New Zealand, they would have to self-quarantine for two weeks. And it wasn't just any old quarantine. They would have to give their number and their whereabouts and then the New Zealand government would have people phoning them up to check that they were in quarantine. And the effects of the kind of hardline measures which were taken very early was that New Zealand managed to escape with one of the kind of lightest outbreaks of coronavirus there was.
2: They just had over a thousand cases and just 21 deaths.
0: And what about sort of other countries closer to home, in in Europe... What were they doing at around this time?
2: What we've been able to do is get hold of data produced by Imperial College London, um, which is one of the government's key modellers, and also Oxford University. And what they've been doing is back-modelling the number of deaths that have since occurred to try and work out how many infections there were particular dates in the past. They've done this for 11 different countries across Europe, including the UK, and it, it gives us a real sense of how the outbreak developed as it went across Europe and how different countries compared.
0: What did they find?
2: Well, what we can see is that we clearly did have an early warning system because Italy, as we all know, was ahead of us, as was France and Spain. So what you can see on the figures is we're significantly behind them at the beginning of March. And you can see our scientists, uh, Patrick Valance is making the point that you know we've got a period of time, but we're going to ca- we'll catch up with them. But the, he was saying that we had four weeks.
1: In answer to the questions um, about uh, Italy, on the curve, we're maybe four weeks or so behind in terms of the scale of the outbreak, um, and we're behind
2: where we were four weeks behind Italy. But what the, what the data suggests is actually we were. As, as little as two weeks, and there had been a sort of miscalculation. I think that that had a contribution to the slow action that we saw in the UK. You might think that with the early warning system of Italy, you know, we might have brought in the measures before Italy did because we could see the catastrophic consequences of, of not doing so.
0: Yeah, we could see what's coming down the line.
2: Yeah, exactly, and, and the, the really sort of extraordinary thing is actually when you when you compare the number of infections when the control measures come in, we were actually pretty much the last on each of them and the most critical thing was obviously on the lockdown so the estimates suggest that when the uk decided to finally lock down on the 23rd of march the number of infections had soared to 1.5 million yet italy is estimated to have had only 1.2 million infections when they locked down almost two weeks before we did So that gives you an idea of how the period in which the Prime Minister delayed bringing in the lockdown, despite stark warnings from both inside and outside the country, is believed to have seen more than a million British people catch the virus.
0: That's remarkable. So even though we were warned by the example of Italy, and we had a few weeks in hand to make sure we were protected, you've now found that we still waited until we had more people infected than they did before we eventually locked down.
2: That's what some of the experts that we've we've spoken to have found the most hard to understand and um, have been most critical of.
0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. As March wore on and we watched the rest of Europe locked down around us, the UK seemed to be pursuing a policy of herd immunity instead. The idea that if you let the virus pass through the population, it would eventually become less of a threat. Boris Johnson nodded to it on daytime TV.
3: Where a lot of the debate has, has been, and one of the theories is that, you know, uh, perhaps you could sort of take it on the chin, take it all in one in one go and allow the disease, as it were, to, to move through the, the population, uh, I, without really taking as many draconian measures. I think we need to strike a balance. I think it's very important.
1: Classically, a herd immunity would be gained if you had a vaccine, but from what everyone has been saying, it's going to be 18 months before we get a vaccine. So quite clearly, what the government was kind of missing at that point was actually that if you took much stricter measures to suppress, then you would have more time to build up your resistance to the, the disease in terms of getting better PPE, getting better testing, so you could, could actually go and chase all those people with the virus and, and find out who they're being connected to, etc. And that would have given them time to kind of build up a better way of, of tackling this virus. But what we were looking at over those three weeks in March is the first two weeks, they seem to be fixated on this idea that they'll just let the thing spread and then at some point in the future, they'll bring in a measure such as closing schools or a measure such as making more people work from home.
0: Were they even doing enough testing to know how many infections they already had in the country?
1: What happened during that period was initially they had a contained strategy. And the contained strategy was all about if someone presented with coronavirus, then they would find out who they contacted and, and follow them up. And then this was abandoned in the middle of the month because it was just impossible because there were so many cases.
0: And when you speak to scientists now, how do they feel about the idea of herd immunity?
1: I think um, herd immunity is the kind of old solution for a flu pandemic. If a virus is spreading so, so fast, it is quite difficult to contain. Therefore, you can see why it's kind of an attractive proposition. But really, the only way you're going to get herd immunity is through a vaccine. But in the meantime, all the figures show that this particular virus has this particularly nasty combination which is that it spreads fast and also it's quite deadly to a certain amount of people. Therefore if you just let it run in the population in that way it's going to wreak havoc and lots of people are going to lose their lives.
0: From your conversations with people in government and advising number 10 does that idea of herd immunity, does that begin to explain why for example lots of mass events were still being allowed to take place in this country when they'd been shut down elsewhere? I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the horse racing at Cheltenham, for example.
1: I think as it was kind of accepted, the virus would spread to a certain extent before control measures uh, were brought in. Then in a way, it kind of didn't matter if you're going to take that view that lots of people were meeting together. To be fair to the government, they do argue that actually mass gatherings have no greater risk of infectivity than small gatherings at home. The argument that Patrick Vallance make is that at a mass gathering you would only be surrounded by three or four people and they're the ones who might be infected whereas that might be the same if you're having a dinner party at home and we spoke to Sir David King who used to do Patrick Vallance's job before him he was the former chief scientist And David King just doesn't understand the logic of that argument. David King's own son went to Cheltenham and later he contracted the virus. Whether he contracted it at Cheltenham or not, it's hard to say. But, I mean, he makes the point that mass gatherings just bring people from all over the place. People travel on trains, people crush together in small spaces. They move around when they're at the mass gathering. They go for drinks afterwards. It vastly increases the number of people that could be infected
0: they take it away back to different corners of the country when they leave.
1: Yeah, we, I mean, we did some work on what happened after Cheltenham and our colleague Dipesh got uh, tracked down a couple of people who were far, far away in Cumbria and in the Midlands who both died on the same day, actually, having been at Cheltenham. Again, one can never say absolutely that they died of picking up the virus in Cheltenham because nobody would ever know. But there's been a lot of kind of statistical work now been done.
2: Yeah, there's an uh, organisation called Edge Health which analyses health data for the NHS and it did some modelling estimated that for the um, Liverpool-Atletico Madrid game, Champions League game, which happened just after the Cheltenham Festival. Uh, so the game was linked to 41 additional deaths and Cheltenham was linked to 37 nearby hospitals to the event between 25 to 35 days later. The evidence that suggests holding those events and failing to did have a very tragic consequence.
0: There was talk at the time about the need to delay lockdown because there was a sense that people just wouldn't take it for very long.
2: Yes, this was an argument that was used a lot in that last week or so, as it was a reason for not locking down when many other countries were doing so.
1: If you asked households to completely isolate if one person was ill, most people would not have coronavirus. You may have to do the whole thing all over again. And what happens then is the effect of that wanes because people get fed up with doing this and you end up with not being able to do it time and time again.
2: We've spoken to scientists about this and it, it's just illogical because the longer you leave for to bring in a control measure, the more the infections spread across the country and therefore the longer it takes for that control measure to take effect and to bring the number of infections under control to a stage where... You, know, you can start contact tracing and start lifting the measures until you can see other countries who did lockdown earlier than us and now coming out of lockdown um, earlier than us. We have spoken to people on the government's behavioural advisory committee and they would have expected to be consulted on something like that because fatigue is a kind of behavioural science. They were never consulted on it and were shocked to see it being used in the government's press conferences to the nation. They
0: just don't know where that came from.
2: No, they, they, they were baffled by it.
0: How did the government's policy finally change? Do we know what was happening behind the scenes?
1: I think by the mid-weekend of March, Saturday 14th of March, Boris held a, a meeting in the morning uh, with his senior advisers.
2: So, yes, there was a key meeting on the morning of Saturday the 14th of March when Boris Johnson called his inner team together for a, a meeting... And by then, it was understood that his most influential advisor, Dominic Cummings, had gone through what's been described as a bomber scene conversion, where he'd moved from being a supporter of the mitigation strategy to an advocate of the kind of suppression strategy that would lead to a lockdown. And it's understood that that was when Johnson was persuaded that a lockdown would be required But what wasn't agreed on was when it should be enforced and, and exactly what form it should take. And a senior Tory source said that Johnson had bottled lockdown during the following week because of concerns about the, the economy. And obviously what's, what's since emerged is that despite Cummings being pro-lockdown at that stage, um, since then he's had a, a fairly loose interpretation of how the lockdown rules, which subsequently came in, um, would, would apply to him.
1: Other countries were going into lockdown at that moment. I mean, Spain went into lockdown that evening. France was taking a whole st- string of stringent measures just before it went into lockdown in a few days' time. They had the previous day, Sir Patrick Vallance had gone onto radio and talked about herd immunity, which went down very badly because it kind of has this kind of creepy um, Darwinian so, tone to most it. Most people, the vast majority of people, get a mild illness to build up some
3: degree of herd immunity as well so that more people are immune to this disease. And we
1: but that had gone down very, very badly. And then also you had these two reports which the findings were communicated to the government by Imperial College and London School of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene, which were showing quite clearly that there was another way that if you had a series of lockdowns, then you could overcome the problem of suppression now and then a second spike in autumn. And the solution was quite stark because... um If you looked at, uh, say, uh, Professor Neil Ferguson's paper of Imperial College, what he was saying is that if we just did the mitigation measures as you're suggesting, government, there would be around about 250,000 people would die. But if we had a lockdown now and future kind of measures, similar measures brought in at certain stages, we could get the death rate down to as low as 30,000. And so there were big decisions to be taken that Saturday for the Prime Minister.
3: Anyone in your household has one of those two symptoms, then you should stay at home for 14 days. That means that if possible, you should not go out even
1: to... Buy- Measures did come in, but it stopped short of full lockdown. And it would be another week from the Monday through to... The following Monday on March the 23rd to lockdown.
0: Why was it so slow? I mean, around the 14th, you know, the rest of the world was going into lockdown. I know some businesses and companies were sort of starting to impose it on themselves because they were looking around and getting very worried. Do we know why the government still wasn't acting, even though, as you said, Dominic Cummings had decided a lockdown would be a good thing?
2: It's possible the government felt that they needed to make some preparations before they They brought in the lockdown, but they would have known that the virus was (laughs) spreading so fast and obviously the numbers got so high. Every day was now leading to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of of infections. And we can see that in the back estimates that we've received. We've also been told that Boris just has got a libertarian instinct and the idea of shutting down a country and was just completely counter to everything
1: that he stood for. Boris was wrestling with the decision as, as to whether to go to lockdown, which would have been a big decision for him. It's an extraordinary thing to have had to happen anywhere, isn't it, really? Even though, there were, you know, other countries were doing it.
3: Now is the time for everyone to stop non-essential contact with others and to stop all unnecessary travel We need people to start working from home where they possibly can. And you should avoid pubs, clubs, theatres and other such social venues. Third, So
1: on the Monday after that weekend, they told people to work from home if possible, avoid pubs and restaurants and self-isolate at home if someone in their house was ill. And, And again, it was kind of the strategy was... We will be introducing other measures, but not until some point in the future. And clearly, by the Wednesday, it's looking even worse. So they then say, well, we'll introduce school closures. But we're not going to do that until Friday. So they didn't introduce that until Friday. So the week suddenly becomes kind of slow motion. You know, everyone's thinking, shouldn't we be going into lockdown? And yet it kind of just floats on.
3: We are collectively telling, telling cafes, pubs, Bars and restaurants to close tonight as soon as they reasonably can, and not to open tomorrow, though to be clear, they can continue to provide
1: and then on Friday, finally, the schools close and and the measures are brought in to make sure that cafes, pubs, bars, clubs, restaurants, gyms, etc will all be closed. And of course, what happens on that Friday evening is that lots of people go and have their last hurrah a, a drink in the pub, etc. And this is getting quite late.
0: Although the government has been saying they're following the science all the way through, was there a danger that Boris Johnson's own brand of libertarian politics was sort of slightly trumping the decision?
2: Yes, I think that, that does feel like that was the case. And you have to remember how much pressure he was now resisting, because if you look at what was happening in the rest of Europe during that period... Britain has become more and more of an outlier. Italy had locked down on on the 10th of March. Spain had locked down on the 14th of March. France locked down on the the 17th of March. There was pressure coming from everywhere, and and people in Britain were saying, well, why are we so different to these other countries? And then Germany, on the 22nd of March, also locked down. And we now know as well from the... Well, we've got to have an estimate from the Imperial and Oxford data that Germany locked down two days before us, but they only had 270,000 infections. Whereas when Boris finally took the decision, we'd gone up to 1.5 million, uh, which you know, it just tells you all you need to know about why we've had such an incredibly different death rate to Germany.
1: And why I suppose that we don't haven't had the s- second biggest death toll in the world.
0: I mean, I guess that's really why it matters, you know, is there a sense that in those weeks when there was that indecisiveness, people were sort of locking themselves down rather than the government doing it, would a quicker, sharper, official lockdown have led to fewer deaths?
1: Undoubtedly, I don't think there's any doubt that a quicker lockdown would have saved many, many, many lives. You only have to look at the figures which are quite stark. On the weekend of the 14th, the data that we've seen estimates that there were 300,000 infections in the UK. And because of the incredible kind of rate at which it accelerates once those numbers are big and it's doubling every three days, by the time we actually got to lockdown the following week, the number of infections was 1.5 million. It would have been far, far easier to have coped with 300,000 as opposed to 1.5 million.
2: It's worth also remembering that on the 3rd of March, the UK is estimated to only have had 14,000 infections. So it it just gives you the sense of the um, scale of the spread through the UK during that period.
0: In response to this investigation, a government spokesperson said, Our strategy has been designed at all times to protect our NHS and save lives. Our response has ensured that the NHS can provide the best care possible for people who become ill, enabled hospitals to maintain essential services and ensured ongoing support for people ill in the community. It's been vital through this global pandemic to make interventions which the public can feasibly adopt in sufficient numbers over long periods. The government has been very clear that herd immunity has never been our policy or goal. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Jonathan Calvert and George Arbuthnot from the Insight Investigations team at The Sunday Times. You can read more of Jonathan and George's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Will Rowe and Leona Hamid. The executive producer is Leo Hornak and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please do leave us a review. You can subscribe for free. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. Also, in these uncertain times, you can access Analysis, Opinion and advice from the experts every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. See you tomorrow.